So, uh, got football started uh, this weekend, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so I, and it started on Thursday, right? With all these college games on Thursday. But this is just something, now look, I'll just be honest, I'm not a Georgia Bulldog fan, but this is my observation. I'm a Tech fan, so I'm used to losing. I got, okay. But um, this is my observation. So, every year, these West Coast teams end up in the top ten, you know, and then they have to play these southern boys, and they realize they're not quite as good as they thought they were, right? It kind of happens like that. But anyway, it's fun. I enjoy football, and I thank you all for being here. I know it's a long weekend, and again, we're just thankful you're here. And those of you who are online watching with us, too, even if you're in the lake with your phone, I don't care. We're glad you're, you're tuning in with us, and we're glad for you all to be here. Well, last week, Jonathan did a great job. I always enjoy listening to Jonathan share a message, and he did a great job continuing our series called Blinded Mind, and he shared with us from uh, the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, and we read uh, the account of Elijah and the three and a half years of a drought and the showdown, if you will, on Mount Carmel with Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal. And God, as we saw in that passage, supernaturally uh, intervened through Elijah to show his power and his sovereignty over Baal and all gods. But even after this amazing display of God's power and uh, his sovereignty, and, and even all those who were on Mount Carmel that day and saw all of this happen, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel still refused to glorify God and thank God. They couldn't do it. Because they had blinded minds. They showed from their response that they neither knew, that although they did know God, they were not going to glorify God and they weren't going to give Him thanks because of a blinded mind. And this reiterates Paul's words to the Romans centuries later that we're focusing on on this series, this passage from Romans. And this is what Paul said to that early group of Jesus followers. He says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. There's a lady named Kim McLean, and she is a research scientist at this um, place called the Cooperative Institute for Mesoscale Meteorological Studies. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Okay? But basically, she studies the weather and patterns. And she has traveled to hard-hit cities and towns to understand why people get killed in tornadoes and hurricanes and storms that she said really should be survivable as long as people get into the right shelter at the right time. You ever wonder about that? Like... They've been telling people for days to get out, but what do people do? They want to stay, don't they? They want to stay till the last possible moment. So in an interview with NPR, she said, We give people days of alert that their general region may be threatened, but people are savvy about this. They know that even in a region in gen- even if a region in general is at risk, that doesn't necessarily there will be a tornado that's going to hit my house. So people wait until things get very close until they make those calls. For tornadoes, they typically wait until they're under a warning, and then there's just a couple of minutes, and they shelter in place in their home. And people are doing what we call, listen carefully to this, this is important, confirming the threat. 
They're confirming the threat. And they do this on a continuous basis. They'll be watching and maybe they'll go get their children. But they won't necessarily take shelter until things get a little bit closer. Isn't that true? People hear that train. You ever heard somebody sound like a train was coming? And they, won't, they don't do it. And they say, why don't people get out? Why don't people take these threats seriously? Jonathan, if you were here last week, talked about like the college student. He says, hey, that was in Ukraine with him. He said, look, when you go shopping... Don't buy those coins because they will take them at the airport. Remember, Jonathan told the guy, and the guy goes, okay. And he came back, look at these coins I bought. And Jonathan goes, what? I told you not to buy those. They'll take them up at the airport. He goes, oh, it'll be fine. I'll just hide them in my pockets. And what happened? He got the security, and they, these two guys came and took him in a room and took his coins just like Jonathan told him. So this article, those kind of things confirm that we as humans are blinded many times in our minds because we think we know better, don't we? We either think that we know better or we want to believe that the reality or the truth that we're hearing is not really reality and truth. We don't want to hear that. That's not what we want to hear, so we say that it's not true. That storm's not going to hit my house, so I don't need to leave. I won't get caught, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. No one will ever know. No one will ever find out. The rules, the laws, they don't apply to me. I'm not hurting anybody. What I'm doing is not hurting anybody. Or truth and reality don't matter. But is that a true and real statement? That truth truth and reality don't matter? Think about that for a minute. But today we're going to look at another Old Testament story in which the reality and the truth of evil had been ignored for so long in this place that it had become a way of life in this place called Sodom and Gomorrah. God had not ignored it. He knew it was going on. And he was about to bring his wrath and judgment against it. And so I'm going to interchange today by saying Abram and Abraham. If y'all know what I'm talking about in the Old Testament, Father Abraham as we know him. But before he was Abraham, he was Abram. So I might slip going back and forth from Abram to Abraham. He's lost his mind. Well, that's true, but I'm really trying to stay biblical on this one, okay? But basically, Abraham had a nephew named Lot who you know moved with him. And then they moved apart. And uh, God has this bargaining where he's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because it's so evil. And so Abraham bargains with God. He's actually talking to God. He says, if I can find 50 good people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you not destroy them? God says, okay, fine. And he, he kind of works his way down from 50 to 40 all the way down. Then finally he goes, okay, God, please have mercy on me. But how about for 10 people? And God goes, okay, for 10 people I won't destroy it. And he can't find 10 people. Only Lot's family is he going to save. And you can read about that in Genesis 18. But this is what Abraham realized, y'all. That God is a righteous and holy and just God. And he can't just wink at sin and wickedness. It's like, ah, just ignore it. It'll go away by itself. No, God, if he's holy and if he really is just, he can't just let it go. It has to be dealt with. So let's read what happened as God sent a couple of angels to Lot and his family in Sodom and Gomorrah to warn them. And we're going to look at chapter 19 of Genesis. And it's kind of long, so, so hang with me. But listen to this story. So the two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. And when he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My Lord, she said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. 
Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner. Now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against this people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke with his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, Hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy this city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of the dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand in the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives, don't look back, and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains, or you will be swept away." But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to. It is small. Let me flee to it. Is it very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, Very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zor. By the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land, and the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew these cities in the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and all the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, this is a disturbing passage, isn't it? You know, it's like, well, why are you preaching from it? You know, it's one of these things I would have left out of the Bible. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to know the disturbing stuff in here. But it's God's word, isn't it? It's God's word. And he, for some reason, he wants us to know about this. It's teaching us something that we can learn even today. But in this text, we see that Lot recognizes something special about these two guys. They aren't normal guys. He knows they're angels. And we think maybe that God has already let Abraham know that he's going to send this destruction. So maybe he's gotten word to a lot that this is going to happen, but Lot is in denial. First, they politely say they'll stay in the square, but Lot goes, no, you're not. You don't want to stay in the square. I know what will happen, so come into my house. And so he shows them hospitality. And then the men of the town surround the house and demand for Lot to bring these guys out for obvious purposes. It's very obvious. They want to gang rape these guys. You see how the evil, the, the level of evil has happened in this in this place, sexual immorality in the form of this obvious homosexual sin of these men has reached an unbelievable wickedness here. And it, and it grieves God tremendously, so he's going to destroy this place. So Lot calls the men at his door friends. 
that are getting ready to do this. And he told them not to do these wicked things. Lot knows these are wicked things. He knows it, but for some reason, he's been a part of this. They made clear they had a demand and they expect to get it met, or there's going to be more violence they threaten him with. They have no respect, they have no loyalty for Abraham, I mean, for Lot because he's there, or whatsoever for these men. And then, this is probably the most disturbing thing to me, is Lot goes, Don't do this wicked thing, but here's my daughters. What? I mean, I, I can't, I mean, you're, his, relationship with his daughters would never be the same ever i mean can you imagine offering your daughters hey do something awful with them but not these guys and what what in the world is so disturbing and again i would have left that part out but god doesn't lot was in denial notice how he first starts he goes stay here and then in the morning you can leave lot is no lot there's not going to be a town here god's going to destroy it you have to leave but he's still in denial that something's going to happen. And Lot was willing to offer his own daughters as a replacement. He has become so callous, or at least so accepting of the wicked and evil behavior of this place called Sodom. And Lot really didn't want to leave. You know what, y'all? What we need to understand here, he's been here for like 15 years. This didn't just happen in like six months or a year. He's been living here for at least 15 years. He didn't really want to leave. The future son-in-laws don't even believe him. They think he's joking. God's going to destroy what? What's wrong with this place? You live here. Why would God destroy this place? It's not that bad. And Lot's family did not really want to leave this place, or they would have. Did you see in verse 16, it said, literally, they hesitated, and he grabbed them by the wrist and drugged them out of the town because they didn't want to leave. What was it? What possessed them to want to stay in this place? Well, obviously, it was a wealthy place. They had lots of possessions, lots of wealth in this place. But how did Lot and his family get from the point of being okay living in this culture of sin that they knew was so grievous to God? How did they get to that point? It didn't happen overnight. And we go back, and like I said, it was probably 15 years or more, and we read in chapter 13 of Genesis. And we're not going to go there. I'm just going to paraphrase quickly. Abraham and... um, Abram and Lot were together and they had lots of flocks and their flocks were increasing and some of the shepherds were kind of you know, back and forth with each other. And he goes, look, we're having problems between our, our herdsmen. We don't need this. We're so big now. Why don't we split up and just you know, keep the peace and you take one part. If you go over there, I'll go over here. But if you go over there, then I'll go over here. Wherever you pick, I'll go the other place. And so Lot naturally picked the best fertile area kind of selfishly. But it says in... Uh, Chapter 13, Abraham lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived in the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Think about that for a minute. He just pitched his tents near Sodom. And listen to what chapter 13 says. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. This was 15 years before what we just read about, y'all. This has been going on for years and years and years. And so... Lot and his family are not unaware of this, but where do they pitch their tents? Well, we're not going to live there. We're just going to live right outside there. And so they pitched their tents there. So he pitched his tents with, with a place where he knew there was wicked and great sinning going on. But eventually, Lot and his family, you know what they did? They got rid of the tents and they moved into Sodom to live. Something lured them there enough to ignore or at least live with the great sin and wickedness that was going on. Seems to have been wealth and materialism that kept them there. 
But we also read about in Genesis when the king of Sodom and some others in the area rebelled against the king who was asking for tribute. They were defeated and Lot and his family and all their possessions were captured. And Abram hears about it and he goes, oh my gosh, they've got my nephew. And so he pulls together some of his men, 318 to be exact, the, the word tells us. And he goes after them and he rescues Lot and his family and many others from Sodom and their possessions. And the king of Sodom is so thankful. He goes, look, you can just give me back all the people and you can have all the possessions. But listen to what Abram said to him in chapter 14. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. You see, he knew something about this king and the wickedness. He didn't want to be a part of him. God gave me this, not you, and I don't want there ever to be a a, a misunderstanding about where that comes from. So what did Lot and his family do after this incident where they were saved? Did they come back and join Abram and Sarah? Nope. Guess where they went, y'all? Right back to Sodom. Right back to Sodom. Sodom did not get better. They didn't repent or glorify God or give thanks to God after this. The evil continued and it got worse. Their mind became futile. Their hearts were darkened. And Lot and his family were right there during all of this. You can't help but be affected, right? You can't help but be affected. When the angels came to town, who was in the gateway of the city? Lot. In ancient times, if you sat in the gateway of the city, it meant you were a leader. You were an elder. You were there to make decisions about things and rules and judging legal matters in that town. And so Lot had become one of them. He was one of their elders, one of their leaders. And Lot was fully entrenched in this culture, probably because he had benefited financially and materially. He had become numb to the sin and evil. Even if he wasn't necessarily practicing it, he was there, numb to it. He was living in it, and he was making no difference to change the others around him. Well, how do you know, Craig? How do you know he wasn't being a good witness? Well, I know this because God says, give me 50 good people, 40, 30, 10. There's not anybody. You've had 15 years. No one has turned and repented. This place isn't better. It's worse. Lot was not making a difference. They were making a difference on him. And again, y'all, I believe this is a real story. Real people in a real place, not just a narrative to scare us to death, to straighten up and fly right. Really. And what did I say a couple of weeks ago? This is my litmus test. If Jesus mentioned people, places, and things in the Bible, then I'm going to go with Jesus every time. That was real. If Jesus said, this is what happened then, and you need to take that as into warning, then I'm going to go with Jesus. And so Jesus did that in the Gospels. In Luke 17, he's talking about the kingdom of God is coming, and there is going to be this coming judgment. There's hope for the future always in the Gospel message. But Jesus says, just as it was in the days of Noah, means Noah was a real guy. So it will, also be in the, it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. Jesus is mentioning Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planning and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. The Apostle Peter refers to this. If God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, righteous man, keep reading. 
If he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for the righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow corrupt desi- the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. And I'm going... Lot was a righteous man. Did you hear what he was going to do with his daughters? But Peter is saying he may have had, he knew God. He knew the right thing to do and it may have bothered him, but not enough to leave. And God had to literally rescue him. It may be hard to understand, but here's Peter. Peter said, we're not going to let something define somebody because if anybody knew that, it was Peter, wasn't it? I denied Jesus three times, but that does not define who I am He understood grace and mercy that God gives. And I believe by grace and mercy. It even says that in our text today that God rescued, by his grace and mercy, rescued Lot. Not because he was necessarily righteous. Paul to the Corinthians said this, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought to and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. And Paul is saying, there's some that don't know God. They're ignorant of God. They don't understand, but you do know God. But yet you're not glorifying Him and you're not giving Him thanks. Don't be misled. Bad company does something to you. So how should we respond today? Let's think if that, if you went to lunch today, you went home, and all of a sudden these two guys show up at your door today, and they knock on the door and they say, hey, you need to get out of here. You need to leave your house. You need to leave Noonan because God's going to destroy Noonan. What would you say? Would you want to leave and flee or would you too hesitate? Well, I have history here. I have possessions here, relationships. It's not that bad at noon and why is God going to destroy it? But there would be some things that maybe we've become used to and accepting of that are negative, destructive, evil or wicked. And we are unwilling to leave these things for complete destruction because, yeah, they're bad, but they're not that bad, are they? That's silly, Craig. Don't be so dramatic. Angels are not going to come to our house and talk to us. That doesn't happen anymore. That was just in the Old Testament, right? I don't know. But I do believe the Holy Spirit is calling all of us today to leave some people, places, and things that are destructive in our life. That we know we need to leave. People, places, and things that we have made a part of our lives, and we just kind of have become numb to it. And we need to stop continually confirming the threat, yet it's bad, yet it's bad, yet it's bad, and take shelter from the destruction that's coming. But we don't, we just confirm the threat. Some of us are like Lot. We may know the truth, but our minds have become futile and our hearts have been darkened. We're willing to say that sin is okay because we like that person or that group of people. Well, they're good people. And we talk ourselves into believing that other than that, they're really a good person. Or it's a good thing. Other than that? Other than that, it's still sin. It's still destructive. It still separates us from God. But we try to pick out things and go, but they're such a good person, that one thing. But that one thing is separating them from God. It's sin and God clearly calls it out. And so we convince ourselves that the sin that they or we are practicing is okay. And then as we get further down the line, like Lot and his family, then we try to further convince ourselves that maybe it's not even sin at all. Maybe God didn't understand. 
Maybe Paul didn't understand. Maybe Jesus really didn't understand. Because they're a good person. Just because they do that, it's not really sin. No. God lays out clearly in his word what is sin. And none of us are immune. And just because we get a group of folks together and hang out and get them all to agree with us, don't you think that's right? Don't you think Paul was wrong on that? Right, right? Doesn't make it right. It's still destructive. It's still sin. I read sadly this week of a preacher that I have enjoyed listening to for years. He's a great teacher. He's a great preacher. And he had to step down because of sin in his life. And he confirmed the thread. I read the story, and as I read it, I didn't even want to read it. I was like, no, not this guy. But he didn't take shelter. He confirmed the threat. He even had rules at his church that would prevent these kind of things from happening. But guess what? He was doing it. He was going around the rules. And his mind became futile and his heart was darkened. Now, that's not the end of the story. It does not, def- it does not define this guy. All the good that he's done is not erased because of this. Please hear that. There is grace and hope for repentant sinners. That's always, always, always the good news of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Jesus died to forgive those sins and restore us to a new and transformed life. Not for us to deny what he calls sin and keep confirming the threat and living in Sodom. But when Jesus went to the cross, y'all, to die for us, and he died and gave his life, and then we say, well, he forgave me. Don't you judge me. And we try to act like all we have to do is say we're sorry and move right back into Sodom. How do you think that makes Jesus feel? I'm just going to move right back into Sodom. Oh, thanks for forgiving me. It meant a lot to me, but I'm going to move right back into Sodom. And that's what some of us do. And maybe there's somebody today who needs to leave Sodom. It's not easy. You've planted some roots there. But in your heart, you're distressed like Peter was talking about that Lot was. There was some distress there. And you know you need to leave. Well, stop confirming the threat that this is destructive and leave. There's some friends that some of you young people have that you need to get away from because they're bringing you down. Yeah, but we're supposed to have influence on them. But you know what I'm talking about. You know when it becomes the other way around. There's some things that y'all are looking at on the internet that you need to stop. And you need to get rid of that. You need to have somebody hold you accountable what you're seeing on your phone or on your computer. And you need to stop confirming the threat and you need to leave. You need to flee from that. And some of us have some other things, some of the things in our life. Maybe, and it can be, and I know y'all know I harp on this all the time, but social media and stuff. You know how this preacher got caught? Because somebody saw his post on social media to somebody that was her friend. And he goes, this is inappropriate. Flee that stuff. If it gets you in trouble, flee it. Don't move back in and go, I can handle it. We need to flee it. But maybe there's somebody here today that needs to leave Sodom. We all have something we need to flee, don't we? And stop just confirming the threat. The angels literally had to take Lot and his family by the hand and lead them out of, uh, out of Sodom. But Jesus went a step further. He went to the cross and he experienced hell, which is complete separation from God, so that you and I wouldn't have to. Do we realize that? Jesus died so that we wouldn't have to experience complete separation from God. And if we really believe that, if we really are thankful for that, then we're going to get out of Sodom and not go back. Instead of just hanging there. Don't take that for granted what Jesus did for you. Today, you can start glorifying God. You can start giving God thanks for rescuing you. 
But it's a transformation. It's not just, thanks for forgiving me and I'm going to move back into Sodom. No. I trust that I'm moving out of Sodom. I'm getting out of there. And you're going to destroy it because it needs to be destroyed. Did you notice that Lot at the last minute he was going, Oh, I can't go to the mountains. How about this little town right next to there? Because there was something in his mind that maybe God really won't destroy Sodom. And I can live in that little town right next to it. And then I can move back in. Did you see where he was going with that? And that's what we do, don't we? I think I can get right back in there. It's destructive. Believe what God is telling you. So this morning, that's our challenge. And we're getting ready to go into a time of communion. If you're a guest here today, we're so grateful that you're here. But we take communion every Sunday. And um, you don't have to be a member of our church. But if you're a believer and want to celebrate that. And we celebrate the fact that Jesus died on the cross so that we won't have to be separated from God forever. He killed Sodom. He killed the sin for us so that we could be back in the graces of of God our Father. And so we celebrate that through communion. So we invite you to be a part of that today. But as we get ready uh, to take communion, if you didn't get your little package, you can sneak out and grab one of those. But the praise team's going to come up, and they're going to lead us in a song, and we're going to prepare our hearts to take communion. But maybe there's somebody here today that says, you know what, I need to leave Sodom. You know what your Sodom is. I don't, but you do. God knows, and you need to do that. And I'll be here, and I'll try to walk you through that if you'd like. But you can talk to God just as well as I can. You can leave Sodom without my help, with the help of the Holy Spirit. So we hope, we hope today that you'll at least ponder that thought. If there's something in your life that you need to leave Sodom for and move forward in God's grace. So let's stand together and let's prepare our hearts for communion. Mm-hmm.